sudden violence will hijack your attention. If I do this, what's everyone thinking? The ability to protect ourselves is inarguably the most important skill we could possess. You're gonna hit me with <laughs> I don't give a shit if you got, I'm scheduled for root canal. Sudden violence trumps that. Like I didn't knock you out there. It's the only system in the world, sorry, that's based on neurobiology, kinesiology, psychology. If I jump across the chair and I go to hit you, wax on, wax off isn't gonna cut it. You need to weather the ambush. So I could be talking to you and go, what the fuck is this? And I'm in your face. Are you catching all this? Can we get some blood flow here? I'm gonna break everything, including you on, on this interview. Coach Tony Blauer, self-defense expert for over 40 years, founder, developer of the Spear system. Welcome to the show, man. Dude, excited to be here. Finally, in person. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, we have. And for me, I, I felt like the only reason I, I, I wanted to do it justice by coming to you in person to do right. it. So I hope you know, like for me, it was a respect thing. And I just, I wanted to capture like it in the flesh than just over Zoom. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I mean, for a while, everything was Zoom. and uh, But I remember you saying that. And, uh, you know, here you are. Yeah. 2011, uh, I started training with you. Because actually, so I have a martial arts background. I started training when I was 18. And I was doing Kaju Kembo, which is like, the, they call it the first MMA. Like a mm -hmm. street self-defense art. And my instructor, he was he worked in the prisons. He was, a, he was a correctional officer. You were big in the law enforcement community. So... He started implementing. He started t telling us about some of the things that you were doing. Right. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Um, I didn't understand the spear methodology. But then I got into law enforcement myself at 25, and I knew it was important what you were teaching. And I didn't know really the why, but I knew I wanted to train. And so I remember in 2011, I went to my first level one spear spear course, and um, really been following your stuff ever since and I and again I was telling you offline like I knew what you were saying made sense mm -hmm. it took me a while to actually put it into practice and then guess what the light bulbs really went off and I'm like oh my god now I know why this works uh, and I'll eventually later tell you like how I started implementing it with the SFPD um, because we were having a lot of issues and we were being scrutinized for use of force and so bringing in a lot of your methodologies and the priming of the mind creating that mental blueprint really transformed the training department. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the things, I mean, this isn't a law enforcement specific, uh, show, but if, if we could get conscientious trainers, leadership, uh, you know, training managers to understand the connection between, and this is right up your alley now that, you know, the pivot in your life, yeah. the connection between neurobiology physiology kinesiology psychology uh that's the human weapon system and we could do that and that improves uh ptsd elements resilience uh well, across the board but you know i've got a love you know this i've been teaching uh, law enforcement military public safety since 1993 i closed my school and i've been doing that for decades now and that job, and you know it, I mean, it's a tough job. It's, it's as exhausting as the last three years have been. Imagine your job every day involves everything you do is questioned, everything you describe. And this is before defund the police. Yeah. Scrutinize, you know, why'd you shoot him? Why didn't you do empty hand? Why'd you do empty hand? Why didn't you shoot him? You know, uh, like, and bad guys don't have a use of force continuum. No. So just the exhaustion... And and I've and I always equate this 
and I'm in a little rabbit hole right now in my mind, as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That it when and let's let's expand this beyond law enforcement so yeah, some of your audience, you know, because you've done stuff on self defense before on the show. Yep. The the ability to protect ourselves is inarguably the most important skill we could possess. And people argue with me, contrarians go, What do you mean it's not the most I go, sudden violence will hijack your attention. I don't give a shit if you've got I'm scheduled for root canal. Sudden violence trumps that. Oh, uh, I've, I'm in financial dire straits. I've got a sudden violence trumps that. You know, I've got to get a divorce. I've got to get married. Sudden, all of it, the ability to protect yourself or loved ones are arguably the single most important thing, skill we could possess. Ironically, it's an area, so you've been a martial artist, so you've got a particular gene that says, I'm going to study and practice violence. Yeah. Uh, most of the world, including... So many of your former colleagues in law enforcement don't want to train. Yeah. And it's insane. So my idea was, and this is a hypothesis I had when I was 20 years old in 1980, when I first discovered an approach to a scenario-based training, one of my students got his ass kicked. And in that moment, I realized I was teaching him boxing. I was teaching him wrestling. I was teaching him uh, uh, Taekwondo. These were all my, you know. These were your base arts. Those, those, yeah. They're the yeah. pillars of what I was doing. And he got his ass kicked, and I realized in the moment when he was telling me what happened that um, I said, oh, my God, oh, I said to myself, oh, my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And I remember saying plural, we teach self-defense wrong, because I knew it was bigger than me. I was a voracious reader. I had every single martial art book I could have by 20. I was a fanatic. Uh, you've heard the story a bazillion times. I'm on the floor, uh, uh, you know, stretching, trying to get the splits, looking at Bruce Lee magazines. Back in the day, it was Bruce Lee. Yeah. 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 And so it's 1975, and my mom comes over to me. We had a, a very successful family business. And I always make the joke, like in the 70s, you could be a lawyer, a doctor, an astronaut, or a veterinarian. There were only four jobs. Or a policeman, yeah. right? Fireman. So, so my mom says to me, you know, hey, have you thought about school? You're 15. Next year, we grew up in Canada. Next year, you're going to high to uh, the year after you're going to CJP and then university. Are you going to go into the family business or are you going to do a profession? Yeah. And I looked up on the floor and I said, Mom, I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I'm going to develop my own self-defense. Like I just, I just knew this is what I, I, I was destined to do. It was just everything I thought about. Yeah. And then when that fight happened in 1980... And I'll fast forward to what we were talking about, and and this fifteen year old that I was that I was uh, coaching, and I'd gotten him three months of private lessons, and I got him to strike and move and do all this stuff, and he still got dropped. And in, in when he was describing it, I realized that I had never talked to him about the scenario, about the emotional psychological pre-fight. Uh, if you think. Uh, um, you know, like minority report as a metaphor yeah. of like, there's all this shit that happens before the violence ever happens. And if you can't clear your fear, if you can't manage the emotion, that will affect, and let's not get too metaphysical here. There's no such thing as muscle memory. Everyone uses the term. You might what? even use it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you use the term, don't you? Of course. Yeah. Well, muscles don't have the capacity to store memory. If, if I give you a gun and I put it in your hand, and I go, when I punch you in the face, oh, I'm going to attack you with a knife so, so you don't get sued, right? You know, you don't want to shoot me if I punch of you. Course. Although, 
if I could kill you, we wouldn't get into law, use of force. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put a gun in your hand and then I'm going to take a knife. I'm going to attack you from 21 feet. My law enforcement people will know the yep. Tula reference there. You shoot me when I come running at you and I'll have the gun in your hand. You'll go, I got it. Yep. But just before we do the demo, I cut your arm off with a katana sword. And your arm falls to the ground, but the gun is still in your hand. But your arm is off. Will you still shoot me? No. No, because your arm isn't attached to your brain anymore. And I make this joke. It's kind of a morbid graphic-like joke. And, I, and I've used this one for 30 years. If I cut your arm off and your hand is in your gun, will you shoot me because of muscle memory? <laughs> right? It's like there's no muscle memory. Yeah. There's motor engrams. There's neural patterns. There's a myelinated neuron, right? And so, but this is truly, when you understand how do you make to, to, to uh, um, lift something that Stephen Kotler talks about that I love, make biology work for you. And I would say, well, understanding the startle flinch and understanding, so the startle flinch doesn't happen if there's no fear. That's the connection people don't realize. You're like, fear can be external. I'm about to hit you. And you're like, whoa. Yep. Fear can be internal. Don't piss Tony off. You might hit me. Right. And now, but at the end of the day, they both produce the, the neurochemicals that we don't want or maybe do want. Right. Because you can make fear as a fuel work for you. Yep. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm down 90 rabbit holes. I love this. The, um, but this is when we come back to what you didn't understand about law enforcement, or about our law enforcement program. Because you're a martial artist, this is my hypothesis, we haven't talked about it. Because yep. you're a martial artist and you study martial arts, because you're a good athlete, you, like many people, like what I did 40 years ago when I was teaching Mitchell, it was like, teach him how to do a punch. Teach him how to move his head. Yep. Teach him how to block. We think that competence lies in technical proficiency, not realizing that if the fear and the stress and the danger creates a neurobiological fear spike, our executive function could be hijacked, which means we can't access the complex motor skills that we thought we would pull off. If I yeah. say to you, what would you do here? I grab you like this and I go to hit you. You go, well, I pin the hand, I do this, I go, I get to yep. two o'clock, yep. I get this arm bar, goldie tendon above here, uh, put pressure there, pinky up. But if something happens too fast and there's that, the fear spike and the danger, you can't access complex motor skills. I'm even thinking, even if you grab me, let's just say you grab me, and right. I know a move where I, I go like this, I feed my hand, yeah. and I go underneath, but you grab me so strong, and I go right. like this to get up, right. and I can't do what I was I don't want to break your wrist here, because yeah, I do sorry. have a crazy wrist. Right. I, but you grab me, and yeah. I'm like doing this, because I learned this, and it doesn't work, right. I'm fucked. Yeah. And I'm like, well, uh, then well, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm spazzing, I'm freezing, because I'm like, it's not working, I practice well, that move. Well, that's the, the, that's, the that's, that's the hypervigilance term that nobody knows what it means, right? Where you, you keep trying a move, even though the universe is saying this isn't the move. Um, there's... Like the the system has evolved a lot since you went through the trainer's course, and now we break things down into, you know, we always talked about train off balance on purpose because in a real fight you're off balance emotionally, psychologically at first, and you're going to be off balance physically. If I jump across the chair and I go to hit you, wax on, wax off isn't going to cut it. You need to weather the ambush, and so the startle flinch for people new to it, 
a, a great, wonderful visual metaphor that I think has has created some additional buy-in is that your startle flinch is like a biological airbag. Mm-hmm. If you're a good, you're a good driver, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can text and drive actually, right? Really good. And you yeah. drive better drunk, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so everyone thinks they they can, and that's cool. So. We know, and you know this as, as a former police officer who's been on the scene of many car accidents and stuff like that, airbags save lives. They actually do. So if you had a choice between having an airbag in your car and not having one, if you did any research, you'd go, I get a better chance of living through a violent car accident. The metaphor here is this. I ask people this all the time. I go, uh, are, are you a good driver? They go, yeah. Have you ever been in a car accident? Yeah. Was it your fault because you're a shitty driver? They go, no. It's always the other guy's fault. Yep. I go, that's metaphorically the same as an ambush in the street. I'm a good fighter, but if I get blindsided, and you know the expressions, right? Of course, all fights are dangerous, but the most dangerous fight is an ambush. The ambush hijacks executive function. You bypass your cognitive brain where you've got all your theoretical answers, right? So if you go, like in order for you to do that wrist grabby, twisty, locky thing, Yep. What did you need to do? I had to access executive function. I had Which, to actually think about what I was But you also had to do something before that. I had to calm the fear spike and not be... You had to do something before that. I had to I prime my brain before and say, this is what and I'm going to do. And something before that. You had to say, grab me like this. Uh-huh. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, so if you go, if we're in a confrontation and you go, if this guy grabs me and I go, lock and I hit you in a hook punch instead of grab you... Yep. Right, you're, and your brain is like anticipating where you go. I was go. looking at your even this demo. I'm looking at your right hand the whole time. Well, well, because well, I'm, I'm like, but check this the out. The way you were shifting your weight, if, like if, dipping. If, but if, but if I do this, what's everyone thinking? You're gonna hit me with. <laughs> right, that probably yeah. hit you a little too hard. Sorry, yeah, you got me in the lip. Okay, yeah. but but like that's part of. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, too distracted with the cameras <laughs> and the mics and I'm going. Is it gonna screw this up? Like I didn't knock you out there, but but it's the the. Um, that, this is why we had to do this in person, by the way. Yeah, but yeah. that that move that move is actually on a videotape from 1980 something called "Science of the Sucker Punch" or early 90s. Uh, the one that you did. The, the, the move that I just did yeah. now. Yeah, the one I did yeah. where I, what we're doing is we're 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 teaching movements. I'm not going to hit you this time. Yeah. But if but if I want to face rake you, if I want to you know collect some DNA, I can go like this and go. Tiger Kung Fu, right? And then I telegraph, or I go like this, you look at my hands, and then my hands are in your face, right? Yeah. So I could be talking, you go, what the fuck is this? And I'm in your face. Sorry, man. I'm yeah, like, this is great. This really, is great. But the, are you catching all this? Can we get some blood flow here? Can we get some makeup? <laughs> it's that zip fizz that you the, the, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm. Uh, that was only a couple of sips, too. Right? The, <laughs> I've had a whole glass before. Oh, boy. For, for the class before. But, but the idea here is, I mean, this isn't law enforcement tactics, but this is how do you... As a human weapon, how do I make myself an improvised weapon? In other words, it's what we call a Trojan horse metaphor. Yeah. Right? If you know that I'm prepared to defend myself, I've made myself less effective psychologically because now you know that I know that you know and I know that you know. And if we're going to fight, the element of surprise has been diminished. It should be literally like if you stood up and you went to encroach me now mm-hmm. and I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Can I from here, have I practiced kicking your leg mm-hmm. 
in a way that distracts your brain and then figure out how do I get off here and, 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 and make moves on you where this doesn't look like a fighting stance to anybody. Yeah, not at all. So all my students will practice shit like that where what most people would do is something like, you know, you threaten me and I go like hey, this and I go, I go, and I, now what I've done is I go, well, I don't want to get caught seated down. So when I stand up, I posture, I control the distance. And there's a lot of, of course, there's validity to that. But I, I look at these nuances as how do I behaviorally manipulate the threat? We call this the timeline of violence. How do I start thinking uh, in what we call D1, detect and avoid? How do we continue thinking in D2, diffuse and de-escalate so that we have a moral, ethical, legal foundation? And then if push comes to shove, how do I, using the Trojan horse metaphor, make something happen? So during D2, where I'm trying to morally, ethically, legally diffuse, I need to be aware of you attacking me, but I also need to be aware of the moment that my intuition says, you better do something now. And so we talk about protective versus preemptive movements. Protective is if I got to if I got to start a flinch, right? And I'm like, oh shit. But preemptive is something in my I sort of like my intuition says, you better stun and run, go now. If I need to change posture, balance, muscle recruitment, I'm fucked right there, right? So in other words, if I'm standing here like this, I'm in non-violent posture. I'm going, listen, man, I don't want any trouble. And while we're I'm talking to you, and I go, I'm gonna. I'm going to say this. Hopefully this will work. And you go to throw a punch while I'm talking. And I, I suddenly I just, that's the airbag deploying. Mm -hmm. I've got to practice from here going, oh, shit. And am I palm striking you? Am I hitting you here? Am I spearing through you? Now, reset. If I'm over here like this and I'm talking and all of a sudden, like I, like I notice, like ball up one of your fists. As soon as, as soon as that fist went, and I can't see your hand, but I can feel this line that's something again we have drills we practice this remember emotional climate training absolutely, absolutely. right so where i i realize this guy's about to sucker punch me i can then take and this is the big this is this is the unique thing is that i go from the same position where i'm able to deploy the biological airbag but i take the same position and i'm able to throw a palm strike mm -hmm. or a finger jab or a forearm or an elbow or an elbow and I, and I practice smashing, smashing your audio equipment. I'm going to break everything, including you, on, on this <laughs> okay, interview. Um, but you, you and all this, I'm trying to, hopefully it's translating yeah, yeah, yeah. to your audience. But the idea here is this, is that the conventional approach when I'm getting ready to defend myself is to adopt a self-defense posture. So if I go, hey, I don't want any trouble, and then I go, I said, I don't want any trouble, now you know that I know. Yeah, and we've lost we've got to fight. You just we put your hands fight. up like, all right, let me get in my fighting stance and then, right. you know, whatever. And, and there's, there's also a nuance, and I want to be a little cryptic saying this on a, on a public podcast. Um, let's think about the best way to say this. If there's CCTV and smartphone and there's no audio and I go, and guys do this all the time, they go, hey, man, I don't want to fight. And they're, in a, they're bladed. They go, man, I don't want to fight. Well, anyone looking at that who can't hear that it looks like you want to fight. So if the yeah. if the aggressor was going, what are you going to do, man? Yeah. And I'm going, man, I don't want to hit you. You know, please, I don't want to hit you. Even if you attack me first and I do this, it's very easy for your team and somebody to go. I couldn't hear what was going on, but who was the guy in the fighting stance? Was maybe the good Samaritan. Yeah. 
and you know how that goes as, 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 a, as a cop in a litigious society. It's like, well, this is what we saw, body language is 60% of communication. Yeah. So there's a part of our programming that's also designed to facilitate like that part. Uh, can we make you safer by having a non, and that's the name of it, our non-violent posture. Yeah. But you got to be able to fight from it. 100%. And actually, it's funny you say that. I have a great story that I shared with you where with in San Francisco, which is one of the most litigious, yep. you know, I worked there and in Oakland, both very scrutinized, highly scrutinized with federal receivership and monitors looking at the department. So the outside world was very um, concerned with what we were doing. And all, all eyes were on. We were under the microscope. And I remember I went up to a call. Homeless guy was acting crazy or erratic. That was basically the call. Get there. My recruit, I'm with the recruit, goes to contact the guy. And he's like immediately from Jump Street. He says, what the fuck do you want? Why are you bothering me? Kind of rushes up to us. And I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, it was. By the way, it was my Friday. Anybody knows. You're like, oh, my Friday. I'm going to get off early. Yeah, yeah. Never, never say that. It just goes wrong. So we. So I, I get up to him and I'm just like. I see the guy, like I told you, he's, he's taking, he takes off his scarf he, and he starts wrapping his hand. And I'm like, as he's done, I'm like, is this, is this really happening? Like fear spike. Right, I'm getting right. a fear spike. I'm like, this, this guy's going to, I mean, I've never had anybody do this. This guy's right. going to fight me. This is, this is crazy. And so immediately I start to do the nonviolent posture. My hands go up and I, all I'm thinking is I'm like, he's going to fucking hit you in the head. You've got to, and we practice this in the spear courses. I, I tell myself, do not, you're going to, this is what I'm like, self-talk. I'm like fear spike, but I'm like, you are going to get sucker punch. Avoid the haymaker, Joel. Somehow you've got to avoid it. And I'm thinking you got to close the distance. And so I'm just talking to him calmly, trying to distract him by just inter intercepting his loop, right? Of like, I'm, hey man, I said, just relax. Like we don't want any problems. By the way, that's not a good choice speech. Right. Never tell someone who's angry to just relax. Right. They don't. But I couldn't think of anything because I had a spirit fear spike. And so I'm just like, hey, man, just relax. And then I use that to bridge. One of the terms you use a lot is use the spear to bridge into your next move. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I had to avoid the haymaker, and I did, and I was able to close the distance. I hit him with a nice spear right across. He landed perfectly, falls off the sidewalk. But I wanted to tell you, I got a complaint mm. that day. Some unknown citizen had seen the whole thing. And they said, you went after, and I got a use of force complaint saying you attacked that guy for no reason. They didn't have the audio, which right. the body cam justified, oh, he, he started a fight with you, actually. Right. And uh, it looked good on the video showing that, hey, my hands were here. And you know what? I had so many SFPD come up to me afterwards. They go, Joel, why didn't you hit him with a baton? You were justified. Right. And I go, I know I was justified, but I just, I just at the time, I'm like, Everything that's going through my mind, I'm like, I don't want to, I'm not taking out my baton. Yes, I was justified to use intermediate force, but guess how much better it looked that all I did was hit this guy with a forearm. That's it. it it's even, I mean, it's an amazing story. And I, um, and I, you shared the video and I saw it. And it was, it was excellent. The Trojan horse protocol is deeper than that. And it's interesting that some of your colleagues said, why didn't you do this? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You can be in a situation where you're trained. And a guy pulls out a gun and he shoots over here and misses somebody, and you can grab you can grab his hand and do a disarm, and you know that. Why would you draw your weapon, step back, and shoot the guy if you know you could do something else? So just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. The other thing is this, and this is important: if you stand up and you're the homeless guy wrapping your hands, 
and I go, sir, don't do that because I because you would have verbalized because your your SOP would have been create space. Yep. You would have gone back into some sort of cat stance. You would have gotten your baton. Yep. You would have had to do this shit. Yep. If I say to you, when you think I'm getting ready to fight, throw the punch. Do we'll do it slowly, yeah. right? And you're wrapping your hands, and I go, sir, don't do that. And I'm doing this here. Well, I'd I'd have if. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the bad guy. Okay. Okay. So I start wrapping my hands, and you step back. You start Sir, get going, back. And I, I'm gonna throw the punch before. And that was amazing how fast yeah. you pulled that out. You didn't even reach for it. But but the idea is like when the when your opponent knows you're getting ready to fight, why wouldn't they hit you then? Yeah. Even if he hadn't finished wrapping his hands, why wouldn't he go like as soon as you put your hand on your on your baton? Why wouldn't he just fire the shot right here? Yeah. We don't know that. The, the psychology of the nonviolent posture, uh, and this like like anybody who's on your audience that's, that's fascinated with personal safety and self-defense, like we spend a lot of time on this. Body language is 60% of communication. The words you use, and then there's tone, and tone, uh, tone is huge. Words are, are, are huge, but body language is the, is the biggest part. It's 60, and some research says 63, who cares, around yeah. 60. 30% tone, 10% words. That might be counterintuitive to some people, but if I say to you, "Don't mess with me, man," or "I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you up," right? Like, yeah. like my tone is telling you that I'm Barney Fife. Uh, I just dated myself. Nobody knows who that is, right? You know, like I'm a scared cop. Yeah. Um. This is so subtle, and this is what we go back to for a second, like uh, to go back to w- when you you talked about when you finally realized the power and potential of the spear. And I was saying, like, we could really make law enforcement safer across the world. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't also be certified in Gracie survival tactics. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't also do that Krav Maga program. The, what we do is we, we insert the metaphoric biological airbag into your operating system. Because a lot of people, I get, I, I still get it. Why do you want to flinch? We're not teaching you to flinch. I'm just saying to you that if we're talking here and I went, hey, you move your head over a little bit and you went like this and there was a spider hanging there, you'd go, fuck, I hate spiders. Yep. And think about this. How many times have you flinched in your life? All the time. You don't know. Every day. You don't Every know. Every day I'm Right? And you guys out there, you've all flinched. Think about this. You've never said to yourself, I should flinch. No one has ever said flinch. In other words, a bullet comes at you, a fist comes at you, uh, a bird comes flying in, a, a loud noise goes off, and we go, fuck, that scared me. The startle flinch bypasses executive function. So it's your reactive brain, your, the neurobiological survival system that has been surprised, and that's the fear spike. So anybody, I don't care if you're jiu-jitsu craw, boxer, untrained, and I use this metaphor. We're all sitting in a car, and we all think we're good drivers. And we've got a jiu-jitsu car. We've got a boxing car. We've got an MMA car. We've got a spear car. We've got a, a Kempo uh, uh, car. We've got an untrained person car. We're all sitting there like this, 2 o'clock, 10 o'clock, right? And we're getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, a 18-wheel truck is speeding down the road, and he's blowing his horn. And we're going like, what the fuck's this? His brakes are out. We don't know that, but he's not slowing down. And also we realize we're all going to get hit. This truck is going to run right into all of us. 
does the Kajakempo guy go fucking this? Does the does the <laughs> does the Wing Chun driver go ah fucking turn yeah. towards us? Does the boxer get ready? What do we all do? We all go fuck. Yep. We all cover our heads and try to push away danger. You know this from car accidents. Someone goes through a windshield without a seatbelt on. There's always trauma in the hands and the forearms. Knife fight from a frontal attack, always trauma in the hands and the forearms. Gunfight, uh, where one, only one person had the gun, trauma in the hands and forearms. You remember in our spear course, yeah. we showed that video of the guy that had the uh, bullet hole in his hand, uh, uh, in his forearm, and he was sit he's sitting there, dead guy, right? Uh, hole in his head, tools in his arm. Did you get that video in the class? Do you remember that? I don't remember that about? One specifically. So it might have been it might have been after or a different course. So we have a, a picture, in and not to be morbid, but the uh, the picture says we got good news, we got bad news, <laughs> and it's a dead guy. He's sitting there like this. He's got a bullet hole in his face, and you can see on his arm he's got two holes. And we asked the class Socratic question: How many times was this guy shot? There's three holes. Point. Shoot me in the face. Bang. One. One bullet, one shot, three holes. Why? I go, good news is the start of Lynch is faster than a speeding bullet. Shoot me fast. Bang. Right? Shoot me fast. Right? When you start, when I pick up danger, my body does this at a non-conscious level. If I'm trying to beat you, and we do this demo with, with certs, with with uh, blue gun, red gun, where I'll have a guy with a gun, stick it in, and we'll, you'll always get your hand... You always get your hand up, and it's and it's a neat thing. I got guns here. I could I could just show you. You know, I remember, and I and I shared something with you. I went to a force science class with Dr. Bill Lewinsky, yep. who does force science, sure. and he has a slide, and I, I remember sending it to you. That you're exactly right. Be, like be, even beyond just us doing this, he pro, he he did his own studies showing that the startle flinch bypasses like everything, yeah. everything. Like and they did various like a baseball bat, someone hitting a Muay Thai kick. Everything that you can imagine yeah. and startle flinch bypass. So, so imagine crazy. if somebody came up with a system that weaponized the startle flinch. Yes. That might be. So what that. value. So, yeah, because listen, um, did you see that uh, uh, airplane craziness that last week it went viral? The guy in the airplane saying, I'm going to kill every male on the plane. No. You didn't see this? Oh, no, my I God. Well, uh, some obviously mentally disturbed person. Oh, I'm going to kill all of you. No, no, no. And then he had sharpened a tampering with the uh, uh, exit door, sharpened a spoon, and then tried to stab a flight attendant three times. But this is going on apparently, I think for like if I'm I, if my info's wrong, about 45 minutes of just and there's videotape of him. Oh, I'm going to kill all you know. Someone going you know trying to calm him down. You shut up, man. Like it like. And he's up, and then finally, when he goes after the flight attendant, somebody gets up. And when one person got up, two people got up. And mm -hmm. like my T-shirt, choose courage. Right? Fear is contagious, but so is courage. And but a lot of experts online or did posts of what's gone wrong with America. Men are soft. You're cowards. You're this and that. I guarantee, if I was on, they're saying, if I was on that flight, that wouldn't have happened. And I did a rant for our. We do a lot of of, of teaching every week on Zoom for people who can't get to me in person. So I teach four times a week live. And uh, and I said, you can't, it's unfair to judge somebody who has not, for whatever reason, 
thought about managing fear, thought about being a courageous bystander, thought about protecting themselves. And while they're right, what are you guys doing standing there? What happened was when it went physical and he tried to stab them, one person got up, two people, then 17 people got up. And I'm like looking at the videotape and I'm going, hey, guy at the end, number 17. I go, now you know why there's traffic around car accidents, right? Everyone's now slowing down to look at shit. But, but fear is contagious. So when everyone, fuck, are we about to die? That fear spike. So unless, and there were like, like world-renowned experts saying, guys, what are you doing? If I were there, well, of course, if you were there, right? If I needed to perform open-heart surgery right now and someone, or someone said to me, uh, um, you know, I hit you in the neck because I'm getting old. I'm 62 now. Timing's off. I've already hit you twice. I hit you in the neck. And, and your brother says he needs a tracheotomy to save him. I'd go, well, he's fucked because I don't know how to do it, right? And I go, Adam, do you know how to do a tracheotomy? Oh, sorry, Joel. Right? And my, what's my, my point being here is a doctor who's watching the video goes, what a coward Adam and Tony are. They didn't do the tracheotomy. Right. And I'm going, I have zero knowledge of how to perform one, so I'm afraid to just do it. So why would somebody who's never thought about violence or practiced violence or studied violence, which is why I always say, you know, when we created our Be Your Own Bodyguard course, and I'd say, look, you don't confuse learning to protect yourself with learning a martial art. You can't learn jujitsu in a day. You can't learn to box in a day. You can't learn kajakampo in a day. But you can learn D1, D2, D3, the three Ds. You can learn what a bad guy wants. You could learn how to. And then I, I finished this class studying this, this uh, videotape with things I said, here's what you need to be thinking about if you were on a plane and this happened. And then I gave everyone like three things to do that required zero fitness, zero training. Zero, and that's what, you, that's what you want. So part of what I'm talking about is how can I activate intuition and mind speed? How do I improve mind speed? And uh, it's, it's fascinating. The, but it was something you've talked about in the past too is these mental blueprints. Yes. And I think it goes along to what you're saying. And I hear this all the time, even when when, when I was training, even vet, especially I hear from veteran officers in the academy, right? The guys that don't want to pay attention. Like, I passed the academy. Now I have to go to this regular training. I don't want to hear what you're going to tell me, Joel. Who are you? What have you ever done? You know, they're, they're, that's what's going on in their mind. And, you know, they would, you know, there was this idea of training. Like you said, like, I don't, I don't need to train. Like what? And you know what I would do? Like, and they would, everyone would say these things like, yeah, you know what? If I were in that situation, this would happen. And my, in my head, I would never say this, but I was like, no, you wouldn't. Because you haven't even thought about being there. And when you do get there, you're like, oh, fuck. You're just freezing because you've never, you've never actually either A, done it and formed a mental blueprint. Or B, you never even thought about it cognitively like deep enough to like think about it um, to, to, per, to actually perform. And there's that quote, right? You never raise to the highest level of your you default to your training. You'll de de yeah, you default to the highest level of your training. So if you haven't trained it, you haven't right. done it, you won't do it. But, and I'm curious. And so one of the drills we started even doing in the academy, I remember, was um, we had people walk up on the driver's side door and then we had the passenger engage in a conversation and then produce a handgun. And everyone, 99%, would run back, like you said, do a cognitive thing, grab the firearm, and then shoot. Too late. I already shot him like seven times. One guy out of many 
I mean, everybody, actually only one person, actually did startle flinch, oh shit, and then grab the gun. Right. He, he won. He won the scenario. And when we debriefed and asked him, why did you do that? He said, you know what? I had been cognitively thinking about what, what I would do in this situation. He had made a mental bloomer and, and then he acted it out. I just find that so fascinating because you talk again, there's no such thing as muscle memory, but then part of your training is forming mental blueprints is, and why it's important. How do, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, that's a great story. Great question. And, uh, the, so this goes back to think about when you applied the nonviolent posture, hit the guy with a protective spear that created space. So in the spear system, we create space by moving the threat, not by giving up real estate, if possible. That puts you forward as in a, in a much more as a, as a tactical athlete that puts you forward and it puts whoever you're fighting backpedaling. That's always a better. Some, by the way, something I'm just, uh, that I thought about, you would always say, I would always hear you, you or the trainer say, never go backwards. We're not meant to run yeah, backwards. We're, we're That's not, why we have toes. Right, right. The, the, and so this ties, this ties into that. Because yeah. if I say to you, what did you memorize when it was time to escalate force? It was create space. Yep. Well, if I move backwards, if, if I'm here like this and I go, sir, I just let you know. And now the element of surprise is gone. But if you want to step in and throw that punch as I'm moving backwards to transition to some sort of technology, I'm screwed. You're actually in like perfect range. Too, yeah, well, I'm moving into. Yeah. And, and so we have that maxim that sometimes moving away from danger puts you into more danger. Yeah. Right? So I got a baseball bat. You flinch first. If you step in now, you jam that. But if you step back and grab your gun, right, you move right into the Louisville yeah. slugger, right? So... So it's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but to go back to your question, if you think back, I don't know how long we've been talking, but 30, 40 minutes ago, when you said, with the guy wrapping up your hands, you had a bunch of your colleagues say, why didn't you transition to baton? So what they've done is they've memorized, when he does this, you do this. So everything's like a DOS system. Yeah. And so, and this is one of the ways that I explain the system. If I say to you, what if a guy, what would you do if a guy went to shin kick you? You go, oh, I check it with for my tie boxing. Yeah. What if he throws a right hook? Oh, I'd bob and weave. Or I do, uh, you know, wax on, wax off. You know, what if he target glances your gun? Well, when he grabs my hand, I'll, you know, I'll pin his hand and do that. What you're doing is your, it's like math. You don't understand it. You've memorized the formula. That takes time. The guy in your scenario that flinched and grabbed, he had thought about something, but it, we call it the three eyes, instincts, intuition, and intelligence. The fastest thing you could do, right? Action's faster than reaction. If in an ambush, who's action? It's always the bad guy. Yeah. So what's faster than action? The only thing that's faster than action is a non-conscious movement. Mm. The fuck's a non-conscious movement? Start a flinch. Yep. Right? Just like the, the uh, uh, Bill Lewinsky's research. Yep. Just like our, our research. We've been saying this since the 80s, yep. right? What is your body, this is our thesis statement, what does your body want to do prior to any training? Does that have a protective application? If so, why aren't you using it? Why is it something that's based on central nervous system, like, like programming, the central nervous system for all of your self-defense? That's, that's the big epiphany, big fancy word for a light bulb moment of the, wait a minute, uh, I could draw a weapon like this, but if the guy goes to stab me or shoot me, my hands will come up. You've never done our gunfighting course, but our, gu our gunfighting course, 
the primary phase is if you produce a weapon, so if you if you draw a weapon, stick it in my face, but do it fast instead of like point it in my face, is to do this, is start a flinch, get offline, get into the weapon, control it, and then transition mm-hmm. if you happen to have a weapon. But we start off, we do all of this close quarter gun drills with the hypothesis that you can't access your weapon. So we asked, her, we asked the question, what would you do if you didn't have a gun? If you didn't have a gun, stick your gun at me, would I go like this? I don't have a gun. Yeah. If I didn't have a gun and I didn't want to die, wouldn't I do this? Stick, stick it in my face faster, more violent, like jam it in. Or wouldn't I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if the guy was using it as a tool of intimidation, I flinch, nonviolent posture. If he's firing at me, and you would know, right? So now you jam it in my face. And I go, shit, right? Now that the cross extensor chain of putting, you could look at all the pictures, baseball bat goes into the stands, ball goes into the stands, basketball goes into the stands. You see a bunch of people who don't know the spear system doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. The, the, the body, when it, go, when it flinches, it comes in to protect the head. If there's time and space between you and the perceived threat, it pushes away danger. If there's more time and space, one hand, the body starts to rotate, rotational speed force, fingers splay, the arm goes outside 90. You know all this, right? So um, we weaponize that. If you strengthen that, you do that faster. You do that sooner. So now, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm standing here like this talking to you, and then you, you all of a sudden you produce a gun and stick it in my face, I'm like, this movement becomes a way more tactical. Now I'm on you here. Am I smashing you here and then grabbing the gun? Am I, the, the, the most important thing is I wasn't in front of the little hole, right? And the fight's on. I'm back in the fight. And I'm not saying that this is easy to do, but what we're melding is a hardwired fear spike response. Because if you're afraid of spiders or snakes or bullets, and I went, hey, look at this, and you'd go, everyone here watching this would go, Duh! right? That's the beginning. That's the beginning of everything. That's the biological airbag. And uh, it's it's interesting. So, and I've that drill a lot of a lot of organizations do that sort of drill. Yeah. And we had a we had a group in Australia that that has been training with us for years and they were incorporating it and everyone in the drill uh used to get shot until they started injecting the start of flinch so you know they they'd walk up and and roll up on the uh you know on the driver and it'll be a driver's side ambush the guy had his gun and everybody who angle like this so you're in the car so everyone you know everyone you know sir driver's license and and now the gun comes out everyone do this they would get shot in the face yep right then it was sir driver's license and like and now the gun comes out. start a flinch just that little much maybe it nicks the shoulder here driving in through the window then coming up over any when they started incorporating and the work and here's the neat thing is you may be thinking you you're not you but you may be thinking because you've done the training oh my god this actually sounds interesting and fascinating i would like to install this this biological airbag in my self-defense system how long will it take me to learn this a fucking second you already do it it's just now like an archaeologist rediscovering it and then there obviously there's you know pavlovian drills that we do because we want we want to create the neural pattern to the signal speed 
you know, in the brain to be faster and faster and faster. We don't want to flinch like this. We want to flinch and start to convert it. There's a story. You may not have, have, have heard this, um, I, but I, I, I tell it a lot at seminars, so you might have heard it. When my daughter Madison, when she was seven or eight years old, she came to sneak into bed with me and Jess in the middle of the night. I had just gotten up to go get a drink of water. And I'm, the kitchen was downstairs in where we used to live. And I'm walking. I go, oh, shit, I forgot a bottle of water by the bed or a glass of water. I get up. It's still dark. The moonlight is coming in through a window in the hallway. We had carpets. She's seven years old. If I showed you a picture of her, she has like crazy hair. I got like Blair Witch hair. And she has this like porcelain skin. And as I walk through the fatal funnel doorway, rubbing my eyes like this, to the, right to the left of me, like this, this close, Joel, like this, right here, I see a fucking witch. There's like this little witch. You know those porcelain dolls? Yeah. That, you know, in every horror movie, they're on the shelves and the, the, with the eyes that open. Yep. That's what I, I got goosebumps. You see this? I got goosebumps <laughs> now reliving that. But what happens is I walk through there, and as I'm stepping through the door, I see a witch right here, and the, the moonlight's coming through here. It was the scariest fucking. I go like this. I go, Dah! right? But I. There's a micro flinch, but as I flinch, I hit the spear stance. She doesn't even fucking move. She yeah. goes, hi, Dad, and walks into the yeah. room there, which was embarrassing. She didn't even flinch or anything. <laughs> but um, I tell that story because it's funny, and it's not like, oh, Tony told a, like, a tactical story where he'd be. No, it was my daughter scared the shit of me in the middle of the night, but what happened was from embracing our neurobiology, to go back to the college and why don't you why don't we make biology work for us so when you study this is going to happen anyhow it's hardwired in you it's been in our it's been in part of our dna for hundreds of thousands of years right the i make this joke and it was uh years ago i got asked uh i get asked this a lot on podcasts uh, what do you think the best martial art for the street is and i go art is for a museum that's my default answer art is for a museum they're like what i go listen and one day, I'd never had this metaphor, but one day this came out and I was like, I can't believe in 30 years I never thought about this. I, I asked the uh, podcast interviewer, I said, how do you think cavemen fought? Was there like a caveman kung fu studio? And cave, Should I go to caveman kung fu or caveman karate? There's two caves and they both have signs here. Like after, after caveman high school, we go to caveman karate. But how do you think cavemen fought? It was like they're, you know, like you're from another tribe and I already know Kung Fu. Like if you know, do you know when martial arts like originated and where? Any of the history? Um, I think it was the monks, right? And like the Buddhists were practicing they they, 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 the crane and they, they started using that to incorporate with their movement, right? There, well, there's there's some people that say it started in India. Some people say it started in China. But let's say there's convergent evolution. It's happening all over the place. But why did people start studying martial arts or practicing or developing fighting systems? Because um, there was violence, right? Otherwise, like, why would you develop it? So here's the thing. The organized martial arts, where you see it in books and sketches and stuff like that, like the organized, the kung fu type things, is only thousands of years old. 
But the oldest, the first spear used for hunting might be like 400,000 years old. Mm -hmm. Somebody figured out how to sharpen a rock hundreds of thousands of years ago. For me to jam, I'm going to use this PVC, you're a wild buffalo or a bear or and I got to kill you. I got to sharpen this and I got to jam it in you, right? This movement is the extensor chain. It's me doing this driving action, right? Yeah. And so I, used, I made this joke in the show, like I didn't have all these props and everything. I'm spending more time here because we're live. This is on Zoom. And I said, like, what was the first, first weapon? What do you think the first weapon was? Was it like a firearm? How about a rock? A rock. Like, yeah. Right, right? If I'm going to smack, like, am I, am I doing this with the rock? Am I, am I spinning it on my finger? Like, you know, am I flicking it or am I picking it up and smashing you in the head? Again, what is it? Finger splayed, outside 90, core to extremity, primal gross motor. Fuck you. Throw the rock, get you down, smash you at a rock, right? That's a palm strike. Yep. But it was primal gross motor. And it was born out of fear of death. So you and I are in the same tribe. We got a bunch of other uh, uh, cavemen with us. And we're sitting by our fishing hole we just we went hunting and gathering and we're resting we're going hey man we have to share that squirrel i think we're going to die and then we look up on a ridge and we notice 12 other guys and they all have long pointy sticks too because spears and sharpened sticks convergent evolution was happening all over the place yeah when they came down to fight do you think it was like kung fu we're doing staff shit or was it like chaos man so the system that we created is this we have to improve our situational awareness we have to manage our fear and the movements during the most dangerous most violent times need to be based on central nervous system logic and primal gross motor movement if yeah. i said to you one last one last visual and sorry if i'm freaking all over the place but like you know how my brain good. goes um if I said to you guys, you know, hey, Joel, it's a rite of passage. You got to go. Uh, you, you remember in uh, the 300 or or I forget what movie it was where uh, was it? The, was it the 300 where you had to kill the giant wolf with the spear? The Spartans. I can't remember, but that, that movie specifically, yeah. but they had like seven years yeah. old. They had the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go, hey, uh, you've got to uh, go kill this, uh, you know, giant, giant wolf with a spear by yourself. So imagine the like the first guy with a stick with a rock on it. He's going, he's testing. He's going, man, I hope this doesn't fucking break because that's like a big animal coming at me. So in other words, I'm here like this. I'm coiled. And when you come up to, to get me, I got to go like this. I'm not just going ki-i, ki-i. Part of me is going in caveman speak. I fucking, so you come at me. I'm going, fuck this. Hope, I hope this works. There's fear. Yeah. And it's primal gross motor. I'm turning away. I'm going, fuck, don't break. Don't miss the throat or the heart or whatever I was going for. Yeah. And that's what I, I look at, you know, where I'm here talking to, to Bob over here and I'm talking to the guy here and all of a sudden you lunge at my gun and I'm like, oh, fuck, right? I hope that I got to go primal gross motor. I shouldn't be doing a guillotine there. I shouldn't be going, oh, I'll grab his nuts here. I shouldn't be, you know, I'll, I'll scoop the arm, grab the, oh, slowly grab it, grab at my gun. I pass the arm here. Guy's thumb on the third metacarpal bone, <laughs> pinky towards the elbow. He, yep, no, yep. because 
in that moment, if you knew the guy was going to do that attack, you could do this. But it's a surprise, and we know, and this is what blows my mind, is that people still look at our research on our system. We've been around for 40 years. We work with elite organizations all over the, all over the world, names that I don't mention because we still work with them. Uh, tier one, all over, like, and people are like, I, you know, my favorite one is, uh, he's never been in the octagon. You know, what? What is that guy? Or the, the roadhouse thing. I thought it'd be bigger, right? Like the, dude, you're doing the course because of the research and it's the only system in the world, sorry, that's based on neurobiology, kinesiology, psychology. Neurobiology, what is our body going to do prior to any training? Kinesiology, when our body flinches, what is the safest, smartest way to move our ligaments, tendons, muscles, and bones? And then psychology is I need to know how I'm communicating. What is my self-talk while I'm doing that? And it starts from there. So, you know, we always say spears a bridge to your next move because a lot of people, they're dogmatic about the next move. And I try to explain to people, uh, and, I, and I say this, like, like I'm, you've known me a long time. You've seen me teach many times. I, I just, I abhor violence. People think I'm like, oh, he's a guy, he's a knuckle dragger, he's a fighter. I abhor violence. I look at violence, I get nauseous first most of the time. Some stuff I can't even watch. People are like, really? Because I don't, not even I don't, I hate watching a victim who couldn't do it. It just disgusts me. Yeah. And so I practice violence and I teach people who go, you know, I don't want to be a victim. In that moment of any, you know, if I could stop any attack and ask the victim, you remember like men in black freeze everything and I go, hey, like, you know, are you okay right now? No, this guy's raping me. He's murdering me. He's dragging me to secondary crime scene. I'm scared shitless. Well, what can I do for you? Stop him. Well, I can't do that. But what, what, we could go back in time a little bit. Oh, I would like to know how to never be near a situation where I have to be in a violent encounter. You're a cop. You're a protector. You got that. You move towards harm's way. So you need a, a system that you're still susceptible to an ambush at a greater frequency than me. Big time. Because I'm not looking for dangerous people. I was used to, I don't know if you remember this from the course. If you're looking for dangerous people in dangerous places, you're always in danger. Yeah. And if you walk around with blinders on or cavalier or just going, when he does this, I'll do that. God, that's so dangerous. Yeah.